The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday edition. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on WINB, WWCR, and of course, for more ways to listen, you can go to the Listen page at WeekendVigilante.com. MixLR is where the live daily show is, and of course, you can download the podcast or listen on the customized app. That's the Weekend Vigilante app for smart devices. It's available on Android, and I'm getting a lot of great feedback on those apps. And do not forget to sign up for my free e-newsletter. I like to send a newsletter once a month, as well as any e-news alerts to keep you up on the latest happenings. And a reminder to the new listeners, if you have not picked up a copy of Green Gospel, the New World Religion, Get a copy because you know what I do? I expose the lies. Well, the lies we heard just yesterday when Al Gore put his so-called moral authority behind Hillary Clinton. I think it's laughable personally. And don't forget, Leonardo DiCaprio says any climate denier should not run for office. Well, thank you to my tree-hugging, liberal-leaning, leftist pal, I don't know when Leonardo DiCaprio became a climatologist, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of lies being told. And you know what surprises me is that our younger generation is lapping this stuff up, and that is such a concern to me. Go to greengospel.ca and check out some of the reviews on that book, as well as the endorsements. I think Green Gospel is a book that every single person should have because the issue has never been the issue. Trust me on that. Every single thing that Al Gore said in that speech with Hillary, everything out of the man's mouth is a lie, and I prove it. So do get your hands on Green Gospel. And of course, Power Prayers, if you're new and you're listening and you have not got a copy of Power Prayers, get a copy. And do go to powerprayers.ca and check out the testimonials. That part is always amazing when you can see the fruits of your labor in putting something like this together, because we had a lot of opposition. It was pretty rough coming out of the gate, let me tell you. We had so many problems. My publisher said in her 30 years of publishing, she's never seen the kind of opposition against any book. So, you know, 30 years in publishing, that really speaks to the enemy does not want people to get this book. That is pretty clear. I want to hear about what prayer has made a big difference for you So do email me. Of course, my contact information is there on the website. Well, I want to jump right into the show. And just a quick note, yesterday I said Reuben Israel was on today and Dave Hodges Thursday. I got that mixed up. Tomorrow on the program is Reuben Israel. That's Thursday, October 13. Mark your calendar. That is the granddaddy of street preachers, 35 plus years. It's going to be a great show. But today, I haven't had him on in such a long time, and it is so good to finally have him back on the program. Mr. Dave Hodges, the common sense man from thecommonsenseshow.com. Dave and I go way back. We were exposing stuff before anyone was awake, I think. (laughs) It is so good to have him back on the show to weigh in on the craziness. Dave, welcome back, my friend. 
It's good to be back with you, Sheila. Thanks for having me on. So where do we start, Dave? There's so much coming at us. Of course, we saw the debates. We saw the uh, my very good pal, Anderson Cooper. What does he call us? Tea beggars? Oh, yes. We're, we're not just the deplorables, Dave. There's a whole lot of WikiLeaks coming out. Even Franklin Graham's now in on the conversation about how much Hillary hates Christians. We're going to get into all the WikiLeaks stuff, but there's a very interesting story in the Daily Mail UK. Russia orders all officials to fly home. In other words, Russian officials have been told to bring relatives home to the motherland. You're working on that story, Dave. Get into that. Yeah, there's not a lot of information out there, and I'm going to be doing some digging and some phone calling tonight when we're done with this interview. But what I have learned to date is that the Russians have ordered their students home, people who are on visas studying in the United States, studying in United States schools, and they have said it's a good idea if you come home. They're also telling people who are visiting here on visas, uh, vacation permits to come home as well. Now, Sheila, I don't think this is the end of the story. This is just the preliminary first wave. When they begin to suspend diplomatic relations on various things, and they've already done that on uh, the joint, uh, I don't know what you call it, basically cutting back on plutonium and nuclear weapons research, uh, they've already cut that off. The Russians have. They've they've, uh, bifurcated from the U.S. on that. But when they start calling home the diplomats, that's when you know war is inevitable, war is at hand. And, And I do think we're going to see that. Yeah, well, let's not forget that WikiLeaks continues to reveal criminal and outright treasonous behavior by Hillary. And what's at the center of the WikiLeaks revelations? Well, there's undeniable links to Lafarge. Lafarge paid taxes to ISIS in order that they could protect its cement factory. Oh, and guess what? Where is that factory located? Approximately northeast of Aleppo, Syria. At the time, she served on Lafarge's board. That was back in 2007. That was a year that Lafarge built its cement plant in Syria. And guess who provided poison gas used in the Iran-Iraq war? Well, reportedly it was supplied by Lafarge. 5,000 Kurds were gassed to death by chemicals supplied by the very company that Hillary Clinton was serving on the board of directors. And who was a donor to the nefarious Clinton Foundation, Dave? Lafarge. So we really have to look at some underlying components to Syria. But the question is here, Dave, is this the precursor, all these shenanigans to the buildup of full-scale World War III here? Well, if we can make the Russians the fall guy, absolutely. But let's not uh, forget, and, and I think we should always be mindful of the fact that what is the underlying circumstance behind what's going on in Syria and its first cousin, Iran, because this is a joint deal. If we attack Syria... We are also going to simultaneously attack Iran. And what's behind us? It's the petrodollar. And this was all started by Russia and China when they started the BRIC nation six years ago. And they began to secretly at that time buy oil for, with gold. And it serves to undermine the dollar. The only backing our dollar has right now is the petrodollar. And the world is running away from this world reserve currency. And the dollar is teetering. I mean, we could go into financial insolvency and our economy could collapse five minutes from now, five days from now, five months from now. I don't think we have a year. And this is going to hasten it. And this war that's coming in Syria is at the behest of the bankers. And there's one other factor, too. There's a huge natural gas pipeline that runs through Syria. And we want our hands on that. This reason we're in Afghanistan for their Central Asian pipeline. So there's lots of motives and lots of ulterior motives. But this is why 
we are engaged, and the Russians are saying no. And, and Sheila, I have to tell you, I, I don't want our dollar to collapse. I mean, I, I absolutely detest and loathe the Federal Reserve. But if our dollar collapses, we don't have jobs to go to tomorrow. You know, we don't get to have family night out. So I don't want our dollar to collapse, but I don't know that I'm willing to go to war with Russia over this. And I think Russia is betting on the fact that Americans won't support the war. So where I think this is headed, Sheila, and I think our leaders know this, they know America's war-weary, and we're not going to go along with provocations, and we're not going to believe their false flags anymore. So I think what they have to do is promote major false flags in the United States, declare martial law. They've got the internment camps ready. Those not on board go to the internment camps. The rest will fall into line, and World War III will commence. This is how I see this unfolding. When we see that NATO continues to execute a military buildup on Russia's doorstep, so he pretty much told him to stand down or else, didn't he? And did you see those tweets as a follow-up? I did. I wrote about it. In fact, there were two incidences in a 24-hour period where Putin issued a direct warning to NATO, you better vacate Eastern Europe or face being attacked. And on the heels of that, in fact, on the heels of John Kerry's not-so-subtle threat to put terrorists in Russian cities if the Russians didn't back down in Syria, they came out in the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. with a tweet that had missiles in a, in a double photograph tweet, missiles in one photograph pointing at the head of Press Secretary Ernest in the other photograph. And they said in there, basically paraphrasing, uh, terrorism can work both ways. Right. <laughs> so the, these were definitely war threats made by Russia. Putin has had enough. And, and the pun around uh, political circles now, he's Putin up with enough, and he's ready to go to war. I mean, he has had it with Obama and Clinton. And here's the bottom line. I find it really interesting in the debate that Clinton tried to paint Donald Trump as a Russian agent. I mean, she may as well just right. come out and said, hey, you must be a former KGB agent, Donald, because <laughs> you're such good friends with, with Putin. That's not what Trump is about. Trump was about trying to establish dialogue with Putin because if he is elected, he doesn't want to go walk into a third world war. And I, I agree with Donald. The Russians are not hacking into the electoral process. This is simply a thinly veiled excuse by this administration to put U.N. observers and DHS personnel at voting booths so they can perpetuate and perpetrate voter fraud. This is why they're accusing the Russians of hacking in. It's all a bunch of bull. And Hillary Clinton has started this demonizing process against the Russians. It's propaganda in the mind. And this propaganda is designed, Russia's the boogeyman, Russia's the bad guy, Russia, Russia, Russia. So when I am president, when we go to war with Russia, hey, what have I been telling you during the whole campaign? We need to go to war with Russia. That's what we're seeing right now coming out of this administration. That's right. And apparently Putin's taken it pretty serious. We learned, of course, as you know, the Ministry of Defense of the Russian Federation, we were hearing about those snap Russian drills, putting its troops at full combat readiness, suggesting that Putin could be on the verge of declaring full-scale war with massive military operations taking place. There was reports of 40 million Russians heading to fallout bunkers. I mean, that is locked, loaded, armed, and ready. And yet, you know what's amazing to me, Dave? It was crickets chirping in this bought-and-paid-for mainstream bobble-headed media we have. Nothing to see here, folks. Well, no, no there's, there, there's two objections I have to what's happened. Number one is the complete media blackout on Russian civil defense drills. 
uh, where they put allegedly put 40 million Russians into underground bunkers between October 4th and October 7th. And I asked in an article that I wrote, Mr. President, where's my bunker? You're telling me that Putin loves Russians more than you love Americans? And there's a really clear bifurcation there because the Russian leadership, they are extremely autocratic and you don't speak against them in the press or you will die. But if you are a loyal Russian, you have a flat tax rate of 13%. You have low energy prices. You have a government who puts your interests at the foremost of what they do, which is why they do civil defense drills. In this country, the leadership in this country could give a damn if all of us die as long as they're left standing. Well, that's right, because guess what? We have good old DHS. And what's that patterned after, Dave? Can you spell East German Stasi? Well, yeah, DHS, as is, is you alluded to, and you're absolutely correct, was set up by East German Stasi director Marcus Wolf for the tune of $5 million. So should we be surprised that we're groped at the airports? Should we be surprised that they intrude in our lives in multiple ways and they have accumulated 2.2 billion rounds of ammunition for what? They're not going to Afghanistan. That ammunition is reserved for America. What's going to drink from the Kool-Aid? So when we look at all of this, Sheila, what it boils down to is DHS is becoming the modern-day Gestapo. Well, and so are we, Dave, being set up for multiple false flag operations? You and I talked a lot about Jade Helm 15, which morphed into 16. But are we now really looking at, you know, some imposition of martial law tactics? Yeah, let me back up and, and go back through Jade Helm 15. One of the criticisms I'll receive from people who occasionally write to me is they'll say, well, Dave, Jade Helm 15 was really a dud and nothing transpired. And my answer is, au contraire, mon frere, a lot transpired. They practiced the removal of dissidents from society in the middle of the night. Gestapo tactics, where they used to pull up to the homes of Jews at 3 a.m. so the neighbors didn't see and take these people off to the death camp. This is precisely what they practiced for in Jade Helm 15. They also used Jade Helm 15 as cover to pre-position assets for two reasons. One, the coming World War. Two, the coming subjugation of the American people. And Jade Helm 15 morphed into what they call UX-16, I like to call it Jade Helm 16, Unconventional Warfare Exercise 16. What they are practicing, therefore, and I have the BizOp ads to prove it, and I've published them on the CommonSenseShow.com, but what I have published there shows that the other side, the establishment, is practicing to fight a guerrilla war against rogue American units, presumably ones who would not go along with the subjugation of American people, and they're honoring their constitutional oath. This is going on right now as we speak in Texas on four military bases. In fact, it even goes deeper than this. My good friend Paul Martin from northern Colorado has multiple people, including himself, who have seen the Gurkhas, who are the Gurkhas? They're anti-guerrilla insurgency forces training in northern Colorado. They were trained by the British to be used in Afghanistan for that exact same purpose. They are now in northern Colorado. They also go to shooting ranges, owned by my friend Paul, and they go to shooting ranges, and they shoot together. And they've been talked to by the locals. It's not like, gee, we think they're there. I have talked to eyewitnesses who have spoken to these guerrilla, anti-guerrilla insurgents. So let me tie all this into a nice, neat little knot. What the establishment is practicing for right now is a complete tyrannical takedown of the United States, and they are expecting 
a counter-reaction in the form of revolution, not only from the American people, but also from segments of the American military. And this is what they're rehearsing for as we speak. Well, and a lot of this is hiding in plain sight, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. When, when, I, can, when I can go to a government um, website and I can download a BizOp ad, and it shows that they need crisis actors to play American guerrilla chieftains, there's no question what they're doing. Absolutely not. But even with that, Sheila, what I've had happen with uh, personnel at places like Fort Bliss, I've heard from some of the soldiers who aren't drinking the Kool-Aid. I heard from an officer anonymously. Obviously, he couldn't attach his name. This is frightening, and I wrote about this. This uh, came to me, I think, about three weeks ago. And this officer said that he was brought in to a large room with several other command officers. And we're, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about lieutenants, captains, majors, and colonels. And they sat down and they watched what the Russians were demonstrating. And the Russians were there representing the United Nations. And they demonstrated enhanced interrogation techniques. And he saw a number that he described to me, but he really zoned in on a couple of them. One, they had a scenario where they marched in um, of these crisis actors dressed in American uniforms. And they sat them down, and there were eight of them in a row. And they would go with them and said, you know, tell us your mission. Tell us where your headquarters is. And they would give the guy 30 seconds of questioning. And when he didn't answer, they shot him in the head and removed him. Now, this is a drill. They weren't really shooting him, but they simulated it. And they'd work their way all the way down to where number seven or number eight would start squealing like a pig and telling all. And this is what they were demonstrating for these officers. Now, the officer told me, he said, I didn't think they were teaching me anything new. He said, you could teach a sixth grader to do this. He said, I think they were gauging our reaction. He said, we knew we were being videotaped. It was quite obvious. And they were watching our facial reactions, our body language. They want to know how we're going to accept this. There was another one that they did, he described, where they brought in uh, supposed families. And they actually used children for this, which I find reprehensible. And what they did was they would have family members sitting on one side, and they'd have the father in a gorilla outfit sitting on the other side of the room, and they told him, you will answer our questions or we'll begin to kill your family members. And every 30 seconds, they started to kill a family member. Uh, and again, the officer said, we were having our reactions gauged. He said, this is nothing new. He said, we know this stuff happens in Afghanistan with the forces that we fight. And he said, and I have to tell you, our forces have engaged in these kind of behaviors. So he told me that this was nothing new. They were gauging the reactions when it's done to American citizens. They're trying to see at what point will Americans break and go their own and say, no, I'm fighting against this. Yeah, I agree. And Americans are waking up. I mean, we're certainly seeing all this plethora of information dumped from WikiLeaks. Where do you start with Hillary Clinton I mean, the stuff on this woman is absolutely jaw-dropping. Where do we start with good old Mao Zedong in a skirt? I just got a podcast that'll be released in the morning, and it'll be on my YouTube at the commonsenseshow.com. And what I talked about there, uh, and I'll just give you the highlights, but what I talked about there was very simple. Hillary Clinton has canceled all of her appearances from October 12th to the election, right. the only thing that's still on the table is the debate. And I think they're going to watch the so-called poll numbers. And I think if they get close to the debate time, Hillary's going to find a banana peel to slip on like she did during the Benghazi testimony. And they're not going to have a debate. 
She's going to be incapacitated for two or three days with a, quote, concussion. I'm just making up the scenario, but this is how I see it going down. And she won't debate. And I'll tell you why she won't debate. I think she has figured out Donald Trump's strategy. Donald Trump was a mild-mannered chicken. He hit the chicken switch in debate number one. All of us were frustrated because it looked like he was intentionally blowing the campaign because he wasn't bringing out the key uh, critical elements regarding Hillary Clinton's criminality and her husband's criminality. In debate number two, he covered about 75% of it, but he left the big things on the table. And I'm highly frustrated with this, and I did a podcast on this. People can listen to it, the Common Sense Show YouTube. And what I said in there, Sheila, was that he didn't cover the Clinton Foundation, the fact they money laundered with HSBC. Uh, I've got witnesses that have come on my show and testified to this, like John Cruz, former senior VP of HSBC, and that they were commingling drug money from the cartels and joint terrorist operations uh, through HSBC. And that money was being overseen by James Comey, as who was on the board of directors of HSBC Bank at the time. And that money was funneled into the Clinton Foundation and is being used to help fund Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. And you also look at, too, you know, Donald Trump did mention that Bill Clinton inappropriately met with Loretta Lynch in the back of a plane with the presumption that she was going to exonerate Clinton despite the overwhelming evidence against her. Well, it, it even goes further than that. Hillary Clinton is responsible, and this is in the New York Times. This isn't Dave Hodges. This isn't Donald Trump. I'm sure he's saving this for the third debate, and this is why Clinton, I think, isn't going to have a third debate, because there is evidence in the New York Times that was printed, and I grabbed this quickly, right? As it hit the Internet, I happened to be a person of opportunity, and I I jumped right on it. I researched it a little deeper, and I've been on this bandwagon now for about a year and a half, Hillary Clinton had a company called Uranium One. It was a front company out of Canada, and they were working in conjunction with the BLM to steal uranium from ranchers' lands that the BLM had control over. This is part of what the Bundy fiasco was all about. This is part of what the Oregon standoff was all about, where our friend Pete Santilli was arrested and just released, but the Bundys are still in prison. So when we look at all this, Hillary Clinton committed abject national treason by selling nuclear-grade uranium to the Russians. We gave away 20% of our uranium stockpile, courtesy of the Clinton Foundation. Now, I want to remind people who know their American history. In the 1950s, this government executed Julius and Ethel Rosenberg for selling nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union. Hillary Clinton is giving nuclear material to the Russians. I ask, what is worse? So I think Donald Trump is saving this for the third debate, And I think Clinton is seeing the escalating strategy of Trump. One, I don't do much. Debate number two, I hit some home runs. Debate number three, I go for the knockout punch. And I think she's going to find a way to escape being in the debate, hoping she's done enough damage with the locker room talk talk tapes against uh, uh, Trump to basically not have a third debate. Well, you know, I actually was criticized the other day for saying this, but you know what I think she did during the bait? I think she actually was calling out a war on Russia, Dave. Oh, no, no, I wrote about that. You're 100% right. You did not deserve criticism. When you tell, let me make an analogy. Britain calls up our president and says, hey, uh, we need help. We've got terrorists overrunning our cities and, and they're threatening to overthrow our government. Can you please come over and help us, America, our closest ally? So we go over there and we're lending assistance and we're pursuing the bad guys. And then Russia says, well, we've got to come into to Britain and start going after these terrorists because they're doing things around the world that we don't like. 
And then all of a sudden Russia decides they're going to impose a no-fly zone against Britain's closest ally, America, and they'll shoot our planes down for violating it. This is the, the, the equivalent to what we're doing in Syria. What, what Clinton is saying is this, is that if Russian planes fly, we're shooting them down. She issued a declaration of war during that debate. This is what gravely concerns me. You know, I, I want to break down, Sheila, if you'll let me for a second, what's going to lose Trump the election. It's actually going to be two things. The first thing is his locker room talk. And as a man who's married to a wonderful woman who deeply respects and loves his wife, um, I don't engage in that kind of talk. But when we go back to my 20s, I don't think I was at the level that Donald Trump's words were at, but I had my locker room talk. And what locker room talk is, and I'd say 95% of all men engage in it, we're simply trying to impress our friends. And when we walk out of that locker room, our wives and our girlfriends, they stick rings in our noses and lead us around by them. Most men who manage to stay married for decades like I have are totally devoted to their wives, but it doesn't mean they have never said anything inappropriate because it's the way that men brag. Now, is it right? No, it's not right. But the bottom line is this, is that the American people, and I just want them to think about this, history is going to judge us if there's history left to right after Hillary Clinton's done with this world. But assuming the world and the country survive, and that's in question if she's elected, but history will look back on us in 20 years and say, you know what, we let locker room talk start World War III. And let me explain. Hillary Clinton has made it clear, we will have World War III. Now, with Donald Trump, we might still get World War III, but at least I hear from a candidate a man who's willing to negotiate and reason and talk to the Russians. And he said that on numerous occasions. I've never had heard Hillary Clinton say that. It's always, Russia's hacking our elections without any proof whatsoever. She says that Russia's doing this in Syria and Russia's doing that. Well, America's doing the same things. And we're not hearing about that either. So history, history is going to judge America, if Hillary Clinton is elected, that we let World War III start because of locker room talk that cost the candidate who might have talked to the other side the election and war will commence with the other candidate. The second reason that, that Trump is going to lose the election, I still believe he's ahead in the popular vote. Even with the fiasco with the media and the locker room talk, I still believe he's leading from things I've read and seen. Now, it doesn't matter. We have 7 million Democrats registered to vote in two different states that are adjacent to each other. That's massive voter fraud. That's 14 million votes if you have 100% participation. The Obama administration is legalizing illegal aliens that they were going to deport for their crimes, and they made them citizens, and I'm sure the backroom deal was register and vote, and you can stay here forever. So how many millions are they going to get there? And then as I pointed out earlier in this broadcast, we have DHS and the UN monitoring U.S. elections. And first of all, that's unconstitutional. Elections under the Tenth Amendment is a guaranteed reserve power for the states. So again, our own government's not following its own rules. And this is another method to allow people. So you have, if you have the election supervisors there from DHS and you have people come up that can't even speak English, they're going to let them vote. And they're there to perpetuate voting fraud. So Donald Trump, I said this all along. Uh, in fact, let me back up and I'll tell you what the former head of the Republican Party told me one time here in Arizona. He said, we always feel that when we run against the Democrats, we have to beat them by at least 6% because they voter fraud everything. And I said, well, what do you think it's going to be for the national election? 
And he, what he told me is also what I've come to believe from my conversations with other people. He thought that Trump had to win by at least 20%. And I agree with that. And I don't think Trump has those numbers right now. I think he's in the lead, but I don't think he has those numbers. And this is the challenge to the American people, Sheila. We have three weeks, three weeks to convince neighbors and coworkers and anyone who would listen to us why they need to vote for Donald Trump. And the way you focus on, and this is the advice I'm giving to people, Hillary Clinton didn't say this. Donald Trump left a huge issue on the table. He talked about her tax increases. Her tax increases are $1.3 trillion. That's her own words. Now, take the 101 million working Americans working full-time in this country and divide that into $1.3 trillion, and that's how much a Clinton presidency is going to cost you initially. Take your 18 to 25-year-old children that will be cannon fodder for the Federal Reserve bankers when she's elected to fight the Third World War. That's the secondary cost. See, if we speak to our neighbors on those terms, in terms that hurt their pocketbooks and threaten to take away their children and have them killed in a war that means nothing for America but everything for the bankers, then we might be able to turn some votes before the election. Well, and now look what's coming out about NBC releasing that vulgar Donald Trump, Billy Bush footage. They wanted it to have maximum impact. There's a report out now that multiple sources connected with NBC, the executives knew about the footage for longer than they publicly said. These NBC executives have open disdain for Trump and their plan was to roll out the tape 48 hours before the debate so it would dominate the news cycles leading up to the face-off. Because that tape was reportedly leaked early to the Washington Post, but of course they said, oh, well, they didn't want to air it until Monday due to the Hurricane Matthew coverage. But there's a lot of new reports coming as questions being raised by a WikiLeaks document dump about the Clinton campaign's past coordination and collusion with the media. Well, they they orchestrated the locker room talk brilliantly. Uh, The timing could not have been worse for Donald Trump. It took away a lot of the sting that he, I think, earned in the second debate. He eviscerated Hillary Clinton on the stage, although he didn't go far enough, and he left a lot on the table. But Hillary Clinton looked incompetent, hesitant. Uh, I turned down the sound after I originally had watched the debate, and I looked at her in terms of what I know about body language, and her body language was closed. It was defensive. It was uh, uh, wanting to avoid controversy. And, and Hillary Clinton has been well-trained in body language uh, projection, and she did not maintain that training through that debate. Donald Trump, on the other hand, almost was ultra-aggressive, yeah. almost too much so. His body language was extremely authoritarian, uh, very forthright, very uh, leadership-oriented, but it was a little bit too aggressive. In other words, pointing the finger with a rigid arm stance is basically a challenge to a fist fight. He could have done this in a little more gentlemanly way and used open arms to show his heart and say, Hillary, you're screwing the American people. As he opens his palms to show his heart, which shows sincerity, instead he pointed the finger right down her throat. And that will turn some people off for being too aggressive. And, and I think Donald Trump probably needs to soften his body language but increase his rhetoric in debate number three, if it occurs. And I'm highly doubtful it's going to occur. Well, did the fourth-degree coven witch forget to do her nightly ritual, or what happened? <laughs> well, I think that witchcraft is not saving her. And, <laughs> and what I look at here is the fact that she's canceling everything between now and the election. 
look at you always want the most insurance. If you're a baseball team going into the the top of the ninth inning and you're leading by a three to two margin, you want to get three more runs. You, you want to pad your lead so you have insurance going into the bottom of the ninth. Well, Hillary Clinton's in that position right now. You know, she just finished the bottom of the eighth, going to the bottom of the ninth. She's up to bat, and she needs to drive a stake in Donald Trump's heart, and she should be out there on the campaign trail to assure victory, but she can't. And why can't she? Because she's sick. She's dying, and she's trying to save her energy simply to get to the inauguration. They don't care if she serves four years. They don't care if she serves four days. They just need her to be president for four minutes so that crazy Kane from Virginia can take over, who wants even more Muslims in this country than Hillary does. Yeah, well, now she's really bringing on the climate change issue. Of course, she has now adopted good old Al Gore, Mr. Hot Air himself, the high priest for the Gaia-loving pagan death cult, as I talk about in my book, Green Gospel. Because remember, Dave, climate change is a bigger threat than ISIS. He needs to stay on the massage table, if you know what I mean. (laughs) But when you you look at that, I thought Mike Adams had a brilliant piece last week uh, where Hillary Clinton came out and actually said, under my climate change plan, I can stop hurricanes, and Donald Trump can't. I broke out into hysterical laughter when I read this. And unfortunately, sitting by me were a couple liberals. Dave, what's so funny? I read to him the quote, and I looked up, and it was a stone-cold glaze coming back at me. Your liberal left-leaning buddies didn't think that was funny? I'm surrounded by liberals during the day. (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting, though? Speaking of liberal lemmings, Anderson Cooper, well, it's a family show, so I won't say what I think about those two moderators, but this is what is so frightening. You never get a Sean Hannity or a Rush Limbaugh in there. You always get these liberal-leaning lefties, well, lemmings is a better word. It was just so incredible how they really kept going on and on about, you know, his candidacy in crisis. Everybody's jumped off the Trump train. And Anderson Cooper, Dave, would not let go of the topic. I mean, Donald Trump was fighting, debating. He said that. He goes one versus three. Yeah. You know, and here's what I find. So he has disdain for women. I mean, why don't we take a look at old slick Billy pedophile buddy pals with Jeffrey Epstein, one of the biggest pedophiles, known pedophiles on the planet. I think they were all in cahoots with Jimmy Savile. You and I have done lots of shows on how sick those sickos. Bill Clinton, such a predator. And yet Hillary herself was laughing on camera. This is on record laughing about the 12-year-old's rapist she got off. Remember that? I wrote an article about that. And... um, she bragged, openly bragged how she got a rapist off. She bragged. I got him off on a technicality. I'm such a good lawyer. Look what I did. Well, look what he did to this poor girl who never had children. Um, this is where Donald Trump left too much on the table. He should have taken half of those two minutes and mentioned each woman by name. Yeah. Not a 12-year-old girl, but by name. And it's not enough that but, uh, she did this. It's not enough that Bill Clinton molested Paula Jones, Jennifer Flowers, and so forth. Hillary Clinton threatened them. Now, that's not Donald Trump saying that. That's Hillary victims saying that about her. And and see, the thing that Donald's missing the boat on, he needs to take himself out of first-person accusation, and he needs to hide behind the words of the people doing the accusing. So when Paula Jones said, you know, he basically dropped his drawers and exposed himself and tried to molest me, Um, He should be saying that. 
that this is what she said. This is what Jennifer Flowers said. And go down the line and say, now, do we really think all these women are wrong? And then he says, uh, I might have said it in locker room talk and didn't mean it. Bill Clinton's done it and Hillary Clinton has defended it. So tell me what's worse here, America. Well, and this is the thing, Dave, is Hillary Clinton is hardly the feminist champion that her lefty supporters want so badly for her to be. I mean, let's face it. She's a nefarious, malevolent, corrupt, unlikable human being that I think's evil. Fourth level coven witch. Well, Larry Nichols says it. I believe that's true. And all she does is cackle in her patented style. The only memorable thing to me at that whole thing was when the old fly landed on her face, kind of like maybe it's the same fly that was chasing Obama, kind of foretelling, yeah. isn't it? Well, we know what flies land on. It's a family show, and we'll just let, <laughs> leave it to people's imaginations. But, yeah, I think the point is taken. Look, Hillary is despicable. The country knows she's despicable. This is what I've raised so many times, Sheila, on my podcast and in print. I've asked Democrats in open comments directly, how can you raise your children and look at them and tell them to obey their teachers to be kind to their friends, be loving, forgiving, and understanding to human beings in general, and then turn around and vote for someone who's the antithesis of all those values. Well, and here's the thing. When you do bring it up, well, your YouTube videos get taken down. We saw what happened with Michael Savage when he was talking about Hillary Clinton's health. Stasi-style censorship. We're very familiar with that. And this is the whole thing, Dave, is we are targeted for being beacons of truth out there. After all, we know what happens when people speak out against Hillary Clinton. This woman is ruthless. And this is no joke, folks. We do put our lives on the line every time that we go on the air. And we have a lot of very, you and I both have experienced a lot of strange happenings. I have strange happenings all the time. When I, um, we, we haven't talked since this event happened. I had a um, opportunity to interview Ammon Bundy. And this is when he was uh, in Oregon and holed up in that, in that little facility. And he was to come on the last half hour of my three-hour show on a Sunday night. And I'm promoting his appearance all the way through the show. Stay tuned. Ammon Bundy last 30 minutes. So we go into our bottom-of-the-hour commercial break. And as we're coming out, I'm saying, and now we're going to go to, and then we're gone. Poof. Mm. Now, my show is broadcast through Global Star Communications. And to handle the volume of my show, Global Star broadcasts on two separate satellites, independent of each other, on both coasts. So one satellite could go down, and still the other satellite's working, and we'd have some people drop off because we wouldn't have the capacity to carry the entire audience. But you'd have a lot of people still listening. And then we have a listen-by-phone option, which is totally independent of the satellite operation. And then we have an internal phone that if everything else goes down, we can record the interview and then play it in the archives. All four of those mechanisms went down at the same time. And not only that, Sheila, all of the communications of those people holed up in that facility in Oregon, their communications went down. Yeah, I was going to be, at that point, the first independent media journalist outside you know, CNN and Fox, be the only ones that have interviewed Ammon up until that time, and they didn't want that interview to take place. They controlled the narrative. And with me... They knew I wouldn't control the narrative. I would let Ammon tell the story. Well, as it turned out, what we ended up doing, I worked with uh, Global Star. Todd Waite did a great job. We set up, uh, very covertly set up a Skype interview uh, with that, which you were a part of. 
and and we had Ammon in there, and he told his story, and we're able to get that back out, not only you know in the open domain, uh, but we also got it out on Global Star Radio Network on the Common Sense Show. So we were able to pull that off, but that shows you the length that the other side will go to to keep the American people from hearing the truth, where they're treated like little children, because if you really know what's going on, then you won't go along with the agenda, and people will stand up. You see, Sheila, a lot of people say this, and I totally disagree with this. They're trying to provoke the American people in the streets. They want a revolution because they can squash this once and for all. No, they don't. They do not. They do not want 200 million Americans with handguns in the streets. There's not an army that has enough occupation force to handle that kind of dissent. You could bring in foreign troops all day long, 24-7, and you still could not subjugate the American people. The conventional wisdom is this on occupations. It takes one soldier to garrison 50 citizens. But that's unarmed citizens. You know, put the guns in the hands of about 30 of those 50. Now your numbers needed to garrison go up exponentially. So your garrison force of what would be 6 million becomes more like 60 million. Even the Chinese can't do that. They don't want us in the streets. And this is why they control the narrative and why they do their darndest to keep us from getting a foothold. Now, Sheila, I am not bragging, but I want to illustrate the point to show you where I think all this is headed. Um, One year ago... I got about 600,000 viewers to my website every month, between six and 700,000. 700,000 on a good month, 550 on a bad month. My numbers for the last 30 days are 3.2 million. And, uh, and I have opt-in, and it's a little uh, survey device that my webmaster put on, and we can get real-time data on who's there, where they're coming from, where they're visiting. 3.2 million. That's a five- to six-fold increase in a year. Uh, Google's, uh, no, it was uh, Amazon. I had a talk with Amazon people about advertising, and they were talking to me about this analyzing group called Comscore, and they go, yeah, your numbers in the last 45 days have gone up 51%, Dave. That's just, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'll tell you what's happening. It has nothing to do with Dave Hodges, although we do have a mobile app now that people can subscribe to, and that's helped our numbers. But what's really helped our numbers is the American people are tired of the BS, the American people, I mean, I talked to John Rappaport. I said, John, how are your numbers doing? He goes, oh, Dave, they're through the roof. He said, he said they're really good. They're really, really good. And everyone I talked to, I mean, Alex Jones is up to about 7 million now. And you look at the numbers across the board, the people that used to listen to Wolf Blitzer are now listening to you and Steve Quayle and Doug Hagman. And the other side is desperate to get that stopped. And when we're looking at the collusion with the Clintons and the media, that's going to be pretty scathing, isn't it? It is. But see, to John Q. Public, uh, thinks Wolf Blitzer is the you know ambassador of truth. It's going to be surprising to them. But you know, it, it, what's incredible to me though, Sheila, is this: if you take someone like Steve Quayle or you take Alex, more people go to their website in a day than listen to Wolf Blitzer's program on a daily basis. Yeah, that's putting it in perspective now. And, and this is why they have to come after the independent media and try to shut us down. We're seeing this with YouTube censorship. It's the incremental approach to shutting us down. Uh, we see it with Facebook. 
Uh, Facebook has suspended me so many times. I don't even know what they suspend me for. I wrote an article one time, and I said that Putin is the leader we wished we had. I talked about tax rates and all the things I mentioned earlier in the show. And it's not that I'm loyal to the Russians and not loyal to America, but I'm saying those people are being treated better over there than our people are being treated here. And that was my point. And Facebook shut me down for that. They suspended my account. And this is, boy, I'll tell you, we'll leave your listeners with a good mystery here. I live about 20 miles north of metropolitan Phoenix, far northwest side. And we're really rural. And uh, 12 years ago, John McCain and his forces tried to take over our area and boot everybody off without any payment. And they wanted to put uh, the Canamex corridor through here, which is the transportation hub of the Central American Free Trade Agreement, International Corridor. And we were able to successfully defeat them. It took eight years. But eventually, we were able to stop, and today we have, I'd say, 98% of our property rights. But here's what's going on. We have a little two-lane road that connects us to a highway that we live six to eight miles away from in our community. And uh, But last December, I was coming down one side road, and I got caught behind three construction trucks, and I couldn't get out onto the main two-lane road. And I wanted to desperately because there were three convoy trucks with canopies carrying combat soldiers, and they were in woodland gear, not desert gear. I thought that was really interesting, and they were traveling west. Now, if you go eight miles west of me, you have something called the Toyota Proving Grounds, and it has more security than Fort Knox. It's ab- you cannot get close to it. In fact, actually, I had a friend go out there to snoop around what was going on a couple weeks ago, and a dark-tinted uh, SUV followed him right to his house. Uh, so, and as we're talking Toyota Proving Ground. Well, anyway, the soldiers ended up dead ending into the Toyota Proving Grounds, and I couldn't chase them in. I couldn't get the pictures. But uh, my neighbor, uh, who lives three doors down across the street from me, uh, he got pictures a few weeks ago of uh, military vehicles headed down this road and going to the Toyota Proving Grounds. Now, here's what's really going on. This this will really catch your attention. For the last six months now. Every morning when I'm taking my son to school, early in the morning, we see these massive uh, concrete trucks, construction trucks, but I mean massive. We haven't had two homes built out here probably in the last year. So these are way too big for single-family homes, these, these kind of trucks. And they had just massively repaved our street and took us from a second-grade street to a first-grade street just before these trucks started rolling. They changed the speed limit out here from 55, which it should be because we're in the middle of nothing, to 45. And one of my neighbors said he clocked those trucks every morning going 45 miles an hour when he was following them. They run 24-7. They go in with a load and they come out with dirt. They go in with a load and they come out with dirt. All of them, 24-7. They're excavating something out there. Now, we're on to this. We had a, a meeting in my house last night with a couple of my neighbors who are really into this, and we're thinking about what's our plan of action here. These are people that are planning to subjugate America. They're probably building a FEMA camp. That's our That's our. What we've summarized, this is what we believe to be true uh, because of the military activity in the area that we, we, and plus the construction. And the Toyota Proving Grounds would be a great place to do it. Now, the Toyota Proving Grounds, this is really interesting. When you drive out to the gate, and I took a picture of this, they have this huge, huge banner that shows what appears to be a construction permit to increase the size of their racetrack at the Toyota Proving Grounds. It looks totally benign. 
So this is the cover that they're providing because we went to Maricopa County's website and Toyota and the Proving Grounds have not applied for any permits for construction whatsoever. Mm. So that's totally a false sign out there designed to cover up what they're doing. Now, I'd like to tell you that in my small community of Whitman, Arizona, this is unique to us. No, it's not. Uh, you talk to Josh Coy, a talk show host at WYDE in Birmingham. In North Alabama, he has tons of listeners calling him saying the federal government's taking over the north part of their land and they're making construction there, but they're, the people aren't allowed to go see it even though it's on their land. Paul Martin knows of people in Colorado that have been forced out of using part of their land and there's underground vaults there and if you violate the territorial properties they'll come out of holes in the ground with SUVs and machine guns pointed at you. Paul Martin has told this story on my show you have the same thing going on in the central basin of California this is going on all over the country the country is preparing to go into martial law and they're pre-positioning assets they're constructing facilities to hold all of Colorado, you mean you talked about Paul Martin. We know that whole area has been just a cesspool for Agenda 21. The water, the land, the irrigation, the schools have become bastions of liberalism over there, Dave. I get get the emails from people in Colorado. There's some very nefarious happenings, Dave. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right about that. Colorado is the capital of Agenda 21 or Agenda 2030, whatever they're going by these days. Uh, It's absolutely phenomenal what's going on inside of Colorado. And a lot of people in Colorado are aware of it, but it's just the the march is relentless towards what's going on. Now, one of the things that I have learned, and I I believe I got this from Steve Quayle, I think. God, I'm getting so many things crossing my desk, I confuse my sources. So, Steve, I apologize if this wasn't you, but I think it was. I think Steve was the one that sent me something that talked about massive relocation of critical infrastructure under DIA. Uh, And this has been going on for some time now. The CIA has basically relocated their headquarters under DIA. The DHS is there. They have a big presence. And surprisingly, the Russians have a presence. Right. And what's so amazing is we know the CIA and the DHS have moved a good portion of their operation to underground facilities near Denver International Airport. You and I talked about Operation Mountain Garden, which was essentially a FEMA DHS incarceration drill. They were using the football home of the Denver Broncos NFL Stadium as the base of operations. So here's the interesting point. During the drill, DIA was shut down. Hmm, possibly Denver, the future headquarters of the U.S. government. When we talked about that, it didn't get much traction initially. But I'll tell you what, Dave, people are waking up. Sheila, you could not be more correct. Uh, and people are waking up in great numbers, which is why the establishment is moving against the independent media. I mean, you know the Internet's been given away to ICANN, which is effectively a UN organization. So we're going to have Russians and Chinese and tin horn dictators from third world countries making decisions on what Americans can print, see, and watch. Let me just share with you from freedomsphoenix.com, good friend of mine, Ernie Hancock, Ernie is talking about an alternative internet that's already in play. And I had someone else write to me the other day about the very same thing. Colin has had the uh, committees of correspondence when Boston was shut down in martial law after the Boston Tea Party. And they got word out to the colonies, and they sure didn't have the internet. We will find a way to keep the rebellion going against the New World Order. So uh, it's just we're going to have to be alert to how to get it done. 
Well, I'm all for the printing press to make a comeback. (laughs) We'll see, I guess. Dave, for the new listeners, do give out your website and how people can find your handiwork. Well, our website is thecommonsenseshow.com, and we air on Sunday evenings, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern. A couple of ways to listen. We are on some local stations, but the quickest and easiest way, unless you know that station, is to simply go to the Listen Live button in the upper right-hand corner of the website and click that, 8 p.m. Eastern. We also have an app for Androids, and you can listen that way as well. And, of course, we have archives if you can't listen live. We also have a YouTube channel where we store our archives, and I do daily podcasts, multiple podcasts, and that is The Common Sense Show. So people have a number of ways to follow the work that we're doing, and I have increased the volume of my work because, like you, Sheila, I know the crackdown is coming, and we may have to get creative on how we get the word out very, very soon. Yeah, creative indeed. Dave, final thoughts? Well, if you're not in the fight, you need to be. And I will tell you this right now. If you don't have food, water, gold guns, ammo, the Bible, and storable medicines, maybe you have to go natural health care to do that, it's almost too late. You need to start now. And I know budgets are strained today. Do what you can. Start with the food, water, and medicine. That'll get you surviving. But you better have a way to protect it, so you better have a gun, and you better learn how to use it. Folks, it's going to be Mad Max from Thunderdome when society breaks down. The government's continuity of government plans do not include for intervention to save people. It's to cordon off the cities, and we'll have to be fighting it out amongst ourselves. So you better be prepared, and you better form alliances with your neighbors like I'm in the process of doing right now in my neighborhood. Wow, that's really good advice. And I've always said that. You know what? People need to get to know their neighbors, don't they? Oh, absolutely, Sheila. No question about it. Well, Dave, I'm so glad you stopped by the program today. It's been way overdue. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show today, Dave. And do come back and see us soon. Thanks for having me, Sheila. Always a pleasure. Folks, that was Dave Hodges, the Common Sense Show.com. Do go and check out his articles. And check out his Sunday night shows. I'm going to be a guest on his show a week from this Sunday. That's October 23rd. That's going to be really good. Tomorrow on the program, I've wanted to have him on for a long time. I'm such a big fan of his work. It is Reuben Israel. I call him the Chuck Norris of street preaching. He was really the progenitor of open-air evangelism. And I'm so looking forward to that conversation. So do listen to that. And then on Friday, author of Technocracy Rising, Patrick Wood joins us. And then Monday, I'm going to do a show on Halloween, our favorite holidays coming up. Yeah, right. So you'll want to definitely direct people to the show. I'm going to break down all about Halloween. It's going to be really interesting. I really believe Christians need to be informed about what they're participating in. So you're going to want to definitely be tuned in to that. Thank you for joining me today on the program. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.